Hey there, welcome to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm grateful that you are with us once again to study the Bible through conversations. And this week we have Michael Bolton on. Now, not the famous singer with the luscious hair uh, from the 80s and 90s, but Michael Bolton, the preacher from uh, Southeast Washington State. And Michael has brought some studies from the book of Ruth, one of my favorite Old Testament books. Michael and I have a great conversation about it, some of the lessons that can be drawn out from this very short four-chaptered book. And I invite you to study along with us as we consider it. Let's jump right in, shall we? Well, brother, you brought a couple of lessons on the book of Ruth. And so I guess my first question is, what led you to study this book? Well, we're studying through the books of history at home on Wednesday night. Kind of a chapter study. Um, and we got three-fourths of the way, maybe two-thirds of the way through the book of Judges. And I realized that, hey, Ruth falls right here in the timeline. So we're going to break up the monotony of Judges and all of the horrible things that are going on here and study the beauty of this wonderful book of Ruth. And so we broke off and looked into Ruth. Sometimes when I read, maybe as a kid, when I read through Judges and children's Bibles, you think of great heroes who do great things. I know, we're I know we're kind of getting on a tangent, but it seems like the book of Judges isn't about that primarily, but rather a cycle of problems. The Israelites, they never really could fully obey God. Yes. And all of the heartache that I guess was associated with that. Where do you think Ruth is at in the timeline of the Judges? I think Ruth falls in about Jephthah, or, or right after Jephthah, but, but before Samson. Okay. So it's... I don't, want to, say I don't want to say the Wild West, West but, it's but it's close to it. It's, it's something, something like that. Yeah. Okay, okay, if somebody, if somebody didn't, didn't know anything about Ruth, about Ruth other than it's a name, how would you, how would you sum up who she is, who she is maybe uh, just in a couple of sentences? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I, a little bit unexpected. I thought I was prepared for everything. <laughs> um, Ruth is often considered a love story, and... Really, the romance is not there until the last chapter. Right. Uh, there's, there's, a, just, there's just four chapters, so it's a, right. a little book. It's a very short book, 85 verses to be exact. Hmm. Um, so Ruth is, is much more than just a, a romance or a love story. I would say that Ruth is a story of hope and God's providence more than anything else. Right. Um, in talking about the book of Ruth, I think that's the, the overall concept. Talking about the person of Ruth, I think her level of commitment is what is the big takeaway. She was a, she's a woman of excellence. Yes. A lot of good characteristics that uh, our sisters can look after and even uh, brothers can look after as well. There's you know, so much that we can all learn from her. Hard work ethic, willing to be honest, integrity. Well, let's maybe uh, 
go through some of the scriptures in the book of Ruth, some of the, the notes that you have as well. You, you've sent the notes to me ahead of time. And so um, I'm looking at this first section, chapter 1. So for those who are, are listening, if you want to follow along with this, we're going to be looking in Ruth uh, chapter 1. And I observe in your notes that you kind of begin by just doing an overview uh, of these first few verses. I'm just going to read it, and then I'd ask for you to maybe explain it to me. It says in the Ruth 1 verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man from Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Now if I'm looking at that with American eyes, that's just a verse that's setting up exposition. But help me understand it maybe through Jewish eyes, because I'm sure there's a lot more in that sentence than what an American might observe casually. We're in Texas right now. Right. It would almost be like a Texan going to live in Oklahoma. Don't even say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was wondering if you were going to do that. Yes. It's exactly the opposite. I live in the land of Moab. Go ahead. Okay. For you, <laughs> yes. Yes. My dear brother, oh, you man. live in the land of Moab. Oh, man. But it's, it's, it, it's a precise contract. It's a precise parallel, actually. Right. Because it's not against the law for you to go and live in Texas. Right. It wasn't against the law for Elimelech and Naomi to go and live in the land of Moab. Okay. And that's contrary to what I was taught as a little boy. Um, he was escaping the famine that right. was there. He was trying to protect and preserve his family. He was being a good um, steward of right. whatever he had left. And so he was going to protect his family. Um, so he's from Bethlehem, Judah. These are, there may be some overtones or undertones. I'm not sure what the word might be, but we see that there's more to meets, than meets the eye, maybe in his, uh, family lineage. There is. Um, I don't have it with me and I did, I didn't really dig into his background, uh, but there's some hint that he was in uh, some of the royal lineage himself. Oh, okay. But uh, in, in Judah's lineage. Right. I guess uh, he'd have to be if Boaz is his kinsman, not to spoil the right. later chapters. But So he's uh, got to have something there. We, we're introduced to characters. Uh, some of them don't last very long, such as this man and his sons. Uh, so the, the main characters are going to be Naomi and Ruth. And uh, whenever every one of their husbands die, we find that Naomi and Ruth, and then there's another daughter-in-law named Orpah as well, they're kind of left alone in the middle of Moab, and, and, and Naomi decides that she's going to return to the land of Judah because the famine is over, and she wants her daughters-in-law to go back to their families. Part of your notes uh, focuses on this encounter. So will will you explain what she's asking them to do and what their daughters and what her daughters in law respond? She's asking them to stay in the land of Moab. She's asking them to stay with their family in their comfort zone, to put it in our modern terms, uh, at home. And they initially they both resist because they would love her and they want to stay with her. Right. 
Now, Naomi learns that bread had returned to Bethlehem, and this is a play on the definition of the word Bethlehem, which means house of bread, hmm. which was a famine, okay. which was going through a time of famine. So after bread has returned to the house of bread, she returns home right. because there's sustenance there for her at home. She thinks she's going to go home for um, alone. And um, it's kind of tragic that they left Bethlehem to improve their life, but really, yes, her life was just utterly taken away from her. Completely she's lost ruined. Everything. Right. And not to undervalue her daughters-in-law, but I mean, she's lost her husband and her sons. I think Naomi had. I think she was depressed. I, I don't know how else to put it, and and I'm certainly no uh, counselor or clinician where I can right. make a formal diagnosis of that. But I think going through what she's been through, I think she was probably depressed and and was in a pretty bad way. Right. Um, she sent them home because they were homeless. That was that was the only place where they were going to have hope. So she thought. Right. So how does Orpah ultimately end up? Orpah actually goes home. Okay. She makes that choice. And I think that's the key part of the difference between the two women is that Orpah makes the choice to go home. But Ruth, the scripture says, cleaves to her. And I don't know what version individuals may be using, um, but the King James that I prefer and, and most of the versions that I prefer uses the word cleave or, or, or something like that, to's, to uh, Naomi, which means that she was unwilling to let Naomi go. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to read what Ruth says. So after Orpah leaves and Naomi says, hey, look, your, daughter, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. You should go with her. Um, Ruth says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now, personally, these verses mean a lot to me because Marissa and I made our wedding vows out of it. There's a, a strong sense of affection here, even if it is slightly, I mean, she doesn't, I think, understand religiously or spiritually everything about the Jewish faith, but she's faithful to Naomi. Right. What do you think about that? I think you're right. I think you're spot on. Living in the times that we're living in, I hope I'm not being too bold, but I want to say something very clearly. There was nothing untoward between these two women. Right. Um, this was very innocent. At the same time, it was very uh, strong commitment. Sure. There were seven things that Ruth actually was committed to. Okay. She was given up all sense of self-guidance, total commitment to, to Naomi. She didn't have any idea what Bethlehem was going to be like. She had no idea what she was going to expect there. <clears throat> she was going to lose all identity of home. In other words, she was going to be Ruth the Moabitess in a strange land. Mm. She was giving up her choice of abode. 
She was giving up her family. Right. But I think the fifth thing where she says, your God will be my God, I think that was her intent all along. And that this my perspective, that's my perspective, of course. She knew that she was going to have poverty in, the, in Israel, uh, but she knew that that poverty would be better than the wealth and comfort that she may have, the chance of wealth and comfort in Moab. Right. And then she said, will you die? I will die, and there I will be buried. A total rejection of Moab and whatever gods Moab had. Um, this this whole concept of, of death and how one dies is, is pervasive throughout Scripture. Recall Balaam had some interaction with Moabites, and he said, uh, let me die the death of the righteous. Of course, we know that his death wasn't with the death of the righteous. Right. Um, and then Ruth's commitment was lifelong. She said, God do so and more to me if anything but death separate us. I notice in your notes you have uh, Ecclesiastes 5 verse 4. Yes. Uh, to go along with this point. Now, Ecclesiastes is going to be written well after Ruth's time, but I think that the spirit of the law was already there. Um, it says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Keep in mind, these notes were written to preach from, so <laughs> this really preaches well, but it applies even better right. in our lives. When we make a vow, whatever kind of vow it is, this is how God looks at our vows. When we give our word, whether it's making a vow to our wife, mm -hmm. especially our wedding vows, or if we make a vow to do something with or for our congregation, with or for our boss, right? God takes that very serious. That's right. Jesus and uh, his half-brother James both urge just to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Um, and, and sometimes people think, well, I'm not allowed to say the phrase, I swear or I promise. That's for another day. I, I don't really want to get into that. What I want to say is a Christian should be known by their word. That's right. I think that's the heart of the teaching is Jesus says, just say yes. And when you say yes, because of the life you live, people are going to say, oh, he's going to do it or she's going to do it. When we say I swear on this or I promise that, and, and then we don't fulfill it, you'll know them by their fruits. This is a good parallel for the Christian life. So Ruth is teaching me the value of making a vow and keeping it. Now, and we're going to learn more about her keeping it for the rest of the of this little book. Give me maybe a wrap-up real quick in chapter 1. What happens after Ruth makes that vow, and uh, what do they do next? They go on to Bethlehem. Naomi introduces herself as uh, not Naomi. I can't remember how she... She says Mara. Mara. Call me Mara. Which is bitter. Right. Because her life has been bitter. Um, Do you have any any inclination as to why the book doesn't call her that from that point on? It, it continues to call her Naomi. I've always wondered, is it because it's just expressing that she was very depressed, but... Ultimately, she's still known as Naomi. I mean, I think that's the way she felt, but I don't think that's the way she was. I wish we had time to really dig into that uh, 
and I didn't as much as I feel like it could be. But a lot of times we blame God for things in our life that's not God's fault. And she did that with the death of her husband, the death of her two sons. Those things, as tragic and horrible as they were, were sad events in her life, but they weren't God's fault. Now, you're saying she blamed God for that. Where do we see that in the Scripture, that Mm. she's blaming God for it? She says, seeing that the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has has afflicted me, Um, in verse 21. Okay, okay. So she's directly applying every tragic thing to an affliction from the Lord. Even though there's no mention of that. In verse 13, she says, The Lord hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Mm. I went out full and he's brought me back home again empty. So Samuel or the, the scribe, whoever is writing this account, wants to document that she says, My name is Mara. Right. Maybe as evidence that she's having a spiritual struggle of her own. Even though for the rest of it, she'll still be called Naomi because I like what, how you said that. This is how she was feeling, but it's not who she was. Exactly. And she's, uh, we're going to probably spoil every little piece of the story before we, it's due time. She kind of changes her heart and her attitude as things develop. And so that's probably why the writer chooses to keep so. her name as Naomi and not Mara. So, All right. Well, uh, if you're reading through this, then um, you're in chapter two with us right now. There's a new character who's introduced. Yes. Why don't you take a few minutes to kind of sum up Boaz in chapter 2. What can we learn about him? Who is he, etc.? Boaz is a noble man, uh, evidently a wealthy farmer in uh, Bethlehem, and he's a near kinsman. Most people call him a, a cousin or a nephew to Elimelech, so he's a fairly close relative. Now that has implications for a Jew Back in these times, maybe not for an American, you know, we would think, oh, okay, he can come and offer condolences for the loss. What does it mean to be a kinsman? He has some responsibilities as well as some privileges. Okay. Um, The nearest kinsman had the responsibility of redeeming the uh, widow of a man who had died, which meant that he would buy up the debt would buy up the property. So Boaz had some responsibility, but you're talking about spoiling. He wasn't <laughs> the nearest kinsman. Uh-huh. So we'll talk about that. Yeah, when that'll we get come to up it. in chapter four. Right. But he's a near kinsman. And so, you know, if, if I was a Jewish person reading this, um, and hopefully now, even as an American person, my eyes are open to, oh, so this is somebody who can be helpful to Naomi. Because you said buying up debt, repaying, yes. or you know, taking care of the land, etc. So the widow has come home. She's brought her young daughter-in-law with her. Uh, what does Naomi send her out to do early on? She sends her out to glean or, or to uh, help, help in the harvest. If I understand right, the reapers were hired to reap. And when they would go through and take the kernels off... Whatever they dropped, the gleaners would be able to then pick up. I've heard it said this is like uh, Social Security kind of for ancient Israel. The old law was that they weren't to glean too closely, they weren't to harvest too closely, and they weren't to 
harvest the corners so that the you, you poor said could, they were not to harvest they were okay. not so if it was like a square if their yes. land was a square they would harvest in a circle pretty much okay so that the poor could come along and, and get that right i noticed um uh, just for the sake of notes leviticus 19 leviticus 23 deuteronomy 24 this isn't just mentioned right. one or one time it's mentioned several times this allowance for the poor um for those who are well off they're and they have a social responsibility to take care of those in need. Tell me about when uh, Boaz enters the scene. He has a, a very short conversation with his reapers. And what can we learn from them? As soon as Boaz, I, and I think this is happening in the early in the morning when the workers are getting to the field, we begin to learn a little bit about his character because he shows up and he greets his workers, the Lord be with you. So he's wishing them well, and greeting them with uh, a, a godly blessing or, right. or something like that. Right. I, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, it's an important greeting, especially in the Jewish in the Jewish mindset. And they respond. They do with the same thing. The Lord be with you as well, uh -huh. or, or something. Uh -huh. So he hasn't just hired these rep scallions to right. come in and he, you know these godless. And men. he takes good care of uh -huh. them. Ruth shows up this time, okay. this day. And she's known, no doubt because of her integrity, no doubt because they made a scene when they showed up. <laughs> Bethlehem isn't a huge town. It's right. a small town. So right. when they came back, they made a scene when they came back. And she's a foreigner. Yes, probably in foreign dress. Right. Um, so she shows up and wants to work. And he says, I know who you are. I know whose you are. You stay in my field and I'll take care of you. That's a that's a bonus, or a, that is a bonus. I mean, she's been richly blessed just in that action alone. And so we, this is why I say the book of Ruth is about providence. Now, in some versions, you'll find the word "hap" or "happen," or in, even in some more modern versions, it just was. I, I've seen "lucky," and of course, we don't like to use "luck." Right. But this is this is really providence. I think that's working here. Help me understand that. What is providence? Maybe I'm maybe I'm unfamiliar with that, or I try to use different phrases. How would you help me know what providence is? How could I identify? This it? is the way that God is providing for Naomi and for Ruth, and making His plan come about to uh, provide the Messiah. Of course, we know that Ruth is a maternal part of of the Messiah of Jesus' ancestry. But the providence comes into play. Had she gone to another person's field, even by accident, who knows? I right. mean, they were taken advantage of. Yeah, there were bad men in Israel, mm -hmm. just like there are in any society. Right. Uh, she could have been taken advantage of by the landowner, by the people who worked for him. Who who knows? But she happened to go to Boaz's yeah. land. So I've heard it said that, that providence is God's will without breaking natural law. So the miraculous would be that God intervened directly and right. put like a neon path law. with a neon sign, <laughs> go to this field. But somehow, I guess this is the, the part of providence that I don't truly understand is that God is able to do it without breaking the laws of nature. And I think that's often the case with providence. We right. Don't, we see it, and after the fact, we think, 
God was at work here. Mm -hmm. I don't. We can't put our finger on it necessarily 100%. Right. Um, I've experienced those too. Uh, it's always good. I like to tell people I'd rather give God credit and he wasn't involved than for me to not give him credit and he was involved. So phrases like if the Lord wills or uh, things that are conditionally allowing for him to be in our aid, I think are helpful in life. So sorry, that was my soapbox for the day. Um, <laughs> I'm seeing the character of three people develop here. Not only is Naomi uh, depressed and, and in need of a change of heart because some bad things have happened to her, but we've also seen Ruth's faith in chapter one, but I'm also seeing that she's in chapter two is, um, I mean, she's a diligent worker. Yes. I mean, she's not willing to play the card that woe is me and people need to take care of me. She's going to go out and take care of herself and her family. And then also Boaz's character is being revealed ever so gently at the beginning as a man who's uh, uh, godly and he's willing to be generous to Ruth. What happens after he gives these initial uh, blessings and this act of kindness to Ruth? Throughout the rest of the chapter, we learn more about his character, don't we? We see that he begins to take care of her. In the next chapter, we'll find a phrase, uh, spread your wings over me. Right. And he be, he begins to do that. It's almost as if if we were to push the courtship or the romance this early, it's almost as if that part of the story begins here. But I don't think it is. I think he likes her because of her integrity, because of her work ethic. Right. Without really having any uh, romantic notions or anything at this point. Yeah. Um, he tells her, you stay in my field. I'll take care of you. He tells her to eat with my reapers, which was unusual for the poor. Um, they didn't get to go in and eat with the reapers. They had right. to go on their own. And then he told his hands to leave her handfuls on purpose, mm -hmm. which is a beautiful analogy and story all of all on its own. Well, what's the analogy there? That, that handfuls on purpose... Um, means to pull out from the the stalks and instead of putting it into the bags or, or whatever they were harvesting into to lay it on the ground for her so that she could pick it up when she got there and wouldn't have to do the hard work her, herself this was again god's way of providing for for her for them i like how she responds um, in verse 10 so he tells her that not only are you going to stay in my field, but I want you to, you know, you can go drink water whenever the young men are drinking and you can, uh, he offers her a place to eat, etc. Verse 10, she says, uh, so she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? You should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner. These are true statements. She recognizes she's not really worthy of any special consideration. If anything, she should be worthy of less consideration than maybe a natural-born Israelite, etc. What can we learn about her in this response? We see humility there. She has a great deal of respect. It goes back to what you were saying earlier. She's not demanding her rights or anything like that. There's not a lot of entitlement here. Yes. Good way to put it. Better. Yeah. Well, what happens at the end of the day? 
I don't think Naomi's expecting what what happens whenever Ruth comes home. Ruth comes home with an ephah of barley. What's an ephah? Strong's concordance, a big old bag. <laughs> yes. Uh, it was enough full. enough to last them several weeks, from what I've been okay. able to. So that's oh, that's okay. a lot of food. Right. Well, suddenly which is the, more than what she was expecting. Right. She's expecting to get a day, you know, a day's amount of food, probably enough to make a loaf of bread for that night. This reminds me of. Maybe you've seen it in Cambodia when you were there or in other countries. But people's bags of rice, you know, you buy a 50-kilo bag of rice, that's going to last you for a month or two. Right. So she's supposed to be bringing home a handful, bringing home a 50-kilo bag. I'm not saying that's how much it was, but just I'm, imagine a, you know, a bag of concrete that you get at Home Depot, that weight. Imagine that much barley or that much grain. Um Naomi is shocked, no doubt. But th there's a bigger shock in store, isn't there? It's coming. <laughs> what we see here is that even though Naomi is depressed, she is wise. She says to Ruth, she says, it's good that you, she says, where have you gleaned and where did you work? Blessed is the one who takes care of you. This is in verse 19. Right. Okay. And then she praises God, who oh. is not forgotten. So I think there's a glimmer of hope there. Right. I, I have a tendency to to notice secondary characters in our in our stories of great heroes, mm -hmm. and I think Naomi is one of those. And it's almost there's there's a desire in me to say that this is almost more the story of Naomi than the story of Ruth, at least up to this point. Um. The Naomi says this man is a relation of ours. I think she begins to see. Maybe God hasn't forgotten me. She's putting the pieces together. Yes. I like what you brought out about Naomi. Um, where does she say it about praising God for not forgetting? Verse 19, 20. Blessed, yeah, blessed verse 20. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forgotten his kindness to the living and the dead. Something that I'm drawing out about her character is that even though she questioned God and, and she she may have had an incorrect conclusion based on personal tragedy that God was out to get her or something of that nature even though she had those struggles she never gave up on God it That's never got good. so bad yes. that she walked away and said I'm just done I don't believe in him anymore he's so unkind etc even in her lowest of lows she still calls out to him. So that I'm I'm with you. I think I'm a fan of Naomi as much as I am of Ruth and Boaz. Naomi teaches me a lot spiritually. Well, we're going to pause right there, and I'm going to invite you to come back next week as we finish up this excellent Bible study conversation on the book of Ruth. Until then, you can go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com, where you will find a lot of resources for Bible study, for personal growth, and for evangelism to your friends and family. Won't you go check it out? And always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.